Although we both identify as Roman Catholic, our aim is not to convert or convince. We have no official affiliation with any religious body and present here only our own interpretations and opinions of these stories. We understand and expect that some listeners may not have spiritual belief in certain aspects of these events, but we hope you find value in them as historical narratives which are inextricably tied to the times, places, cultures, and spiritual beliefs of the people who lived and retold them. Due to age and variable documentation practices, we cannot guarantee the historical accuracy of these stories. And welcome to A Martyr and a Monk. That's Christina. And that's Victoria. And today we are covering the story of Blessed Father Cyprian Michael Iwene Tansi. Okay. okay. <laughs> it's a long name. Cyprian Michael. Iwene Tansi, yes. Yeah, I'm not going to do all of that. I'm going to say Cyprian or maybe Cyprian Michael. <laughs> okay. Okay. Well, I'm going to be referring to him as Iwene, so. Okay. But anyway, before we start, though. Um, I did want to say, as a little preface, which this will make a lot more sense once we actually go through the episode, but um, that we 100% do not condone like the cultural or religious colonization that's depicted in this in a lot of stories of African or other non-Europeans becoming Catholic saints uh, because of, obviously, the colonialization related to evangelization via Catholic missionaries. There we go. (laughs) A lot lot of words. Uh, But we do think that these stories, as recorded by the Catholic Church, are valuable because they offer an insight into a world or a life that might not have been recorded otherwise. Mm -hmm. And obviously this is true of like all the saints we cover. If they hadn't been seen as special by the Catholic Church, then their story wouldn't have been recorded. Um, And we think that it's important that while the Catholic Church has done unspeakable and unforgivable things in a lot of parts of the world um they are keepers of stories from like diverse and fascinating cultures right yes also if we Um, uh completely excluded colonial type stories that would significantly reduce our ability to be diverse right exactly um so while we might cover like these colonialization or colonial adjacent topics um we don't condone those practices, but we want to share these stories as a way and to they honor are history, those, those whether people. whether we like yeah. it or not. It happened, and you can't ignore it, right? And we want to share the stories of those people who did fantastically good things for their communities and who used their positions as Catholic leaders to help their own people. Yep. So that is why we are sharing some of these, but we don't actually condone like how this came about. Yes, you know we I mean? understand that it's bad. Yeah. Um, I also want to recognize that often our resources are written through a Western lens because we live in the West and that is what the internet algorithms give us. <laughs> yep. But uh, we do our best to find as many diverse resources as we can. And like sometimes those who, who are pushing for canonization of these pe- people um, have websites and are like in the native country of these people. And those websites are fantastic and they're much better than Western resources because they tend to be more accurate. Uh, but a lot of times these sources don't exist, right? They yeah. don't exist for everybody. So a lot of times we're forced to use the Western framed retelling of these stories. Um, so we know that like some of the facts or the positions might be skewed toward Western interests. So if you do hear something that you disagree with or that you think is like a common misconception or something like that, you should reach out to us. Um, we hope that we can one day run like an episode of corrections. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you think you know something that we did wrong, please let us know. You can let us know by both like private messaging us on our Instagram account, which is at martyr and monk. Uh, and our, or you can email us at our email account, which is martyrmonk at gmail.com. Yes. So excellent prefacing. Good job. Yes. That those are my PSAs for the episode, and now we will continue. Okay, so can't remember the guy's name now. 
That's okay. We're going to come back to it again. So hopefully um, this week's story is a little bit more uplifting. We've had a little bit of a stretch of some sadder stories. <laughs> martyr, martyr, martyr. Martyr, lots of martyrs right in a row. So hopefully we're going to go in a little bit of a different direction. Um, this story, I think, is going to be pretty short, uh, but maybe not. We're going to find out as we just don't have very much on this guy. This is a great start. Yeah, I know. And as you noticed in the intro, he also is not a saint. Yes. We are using another blessed because I just think it's a nice story to cover. And honestly, the difference between being a saint and a blessed is just time often. Basic, yeah, often it's just time or <laughs> yeah. like somebody pushing for it. Yeah. And like in, in our context, from our perspective, we're looking for like the stories of these people. So like the stories of these people really aren't that much different from the saints, right? Because yeah. it's just it's just kind of almost an arbitrary label, you know? Yeah. So really there isn't a whole lot of difference uh and yeah we'll we'll talk about it so yep. as far as how they lived or what they did blessed well, i mean the, we talked about some victorias last week that probably almost certainly were not real people and i bet your blessed right. was at least definitely a real person <laughs> that's this is a good start y'all he's he's crushing he's it real. right off the bat yeah <laughs> he's for sure a real human being okay cool cool okay so, I have some more prefacing, but you guys you guys know what we're up to. So, Cyprian Michael Iwene Tanse. Okay, also, sorry, another preface. <laughs> Lots of uh, native language words here. I tried very hard to look them up, and I did find some of them. Okay. Didn't, didn't find some of the other ones, like some of the names. I don't have great, like, examples of how to pronounce them, so I'm doing the best I can. <laughs> I'm sorry. I tried... <laughs> Couldn't find pronunciations because a lot of times you can't find pronunciations yeah. and names anyway. So, but uh, at least of like some of the more like proper noun words, I did find pronunciations okay. for. So hopefully they're right. But also, I don't speak this language, so I'm probably making some of the sounds wrong. But I will try. So, okay. Cyprian Michael Iwene Tanse. I think I'm mostly going to refer to him as Iwene. Um, this is an example of one of the names I couldn't find a pronunciation for. So I'm sorry. It's a good choice then. <laughs> yep. Yeah, that's, I didn't want to use the ankle size name, but anyway. Yeah, okay. Uh, Iwene Tanse, uh, Tansi, uh, is born on, in September of 1903 to the Igbo people of Nigeria. Okay. Uh, note, Igbo is spelled I-G-B-O, but according to the pronunciations I found, it's G-Bo is the anglicized, like the Englishified version of a, of a sound that we don't have. Right, um, yeah. So I'm probably not making the sound right. But it's more like Igbo. Uh, Iwene Tansi is born in September, don't know what day, 1903, Igbo people of Nigeria. Uh, he was born in an area of Nigeria uh, that at the time was under the control of the Royal Niger Company. As you can guess, the Royal Niger Company, or RNC, I'm probably just going to say RNC, uh, was a British mercantile company that changed names a bunch of times, but we're going to call them the RNC. Um and was using parts of Africa for trading, etc., including the farming and trading of palm oil, uh, especially in this area. So that makes perfect sense that there would be like a, a company named like right. that for various right. African places too, because they have them in Asia. But it right. has never occurred to me that there were other ones, like different <laughs> geographical ones, yeah, than just like the East India Company, like East India Company, yeah, it's yeah. the Royal Niger Company, yeah. Wild. Okay. Yep. You learn something new every day. Yeah, they were all over Africa, but. They're called the Royal Niger Company, and they were specifically, like, in that active area. in this area. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, so, as an example of their general shittiness um, <laughs> that is related to the story, um, is one story recounts when a local man wanted some palm oil for his yams, um, which in the site I said is, like, basically the equivalent, like, to, like, butter to bread. Mm -hmm. It's, like, that kind of, like, cultural food, you know? Mm -hmm. uh, so, he punctured one of the barrels to take some and accidentally drains the whole barrel. Are they still um, in water? I guess, like pickled palm oil. Oh no! Oh yeah. No, it's just a it's just a barrel of oil. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just thinking of yams for some reason. Oh. <laughs> no palm oil. He no, wants palm some oil. palm okay, oil. That makes more sense. Yeah. He pokes a hole in a in a barrel to mm -hmm. like take some, and then okay. he accidentally drains the whole thing. Um, yeah. and so he kind of flees. But the RNC, of course, is generally pissed that one barrel of palm oil was ruined because they're the worst. 
Um, and this leads uh, some local peoples to send a group of leaders, like group of chiefs, to negotiate with the RNC, um, mm-hmm. like some restitution. But instead of negotiating, the RNC instead arrests the village leaders uh, and then attacks and burns down nearby villages, including villages of people who were completely unrelated to the incident. That does suck. Super cool. Somebody should tell the RNC that they're like 200 years past, past their prime existence date and should not exist, much less be in, burning people's houses In 1903? Yeah. 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 Or yeah. In, at least around this area. So it's, I'm not entirely sure when this was supposed to happen, but- um, I mean, anywhere anywhere near 1903 is right. too late. And we, we know we're near 1903 because supposedly one of the people who was arrested- so basically, they they arrest the. Uh, did I say that they arrest yeah. the village leaders? Yeah. Oh yeah, you did. Well, they arrested the village leaders. Yeah. And then they attack and burn the village. Mm-hmm. So, one of the people who was arrested was supposedly Iwene's father, his dad. Right, and he was born um, in 1903. So it can't have been. He was that born long. in 1903. So it's got to be within like 20 or 30 years. 20 or 30 years, most. I mean, likely, even yeah. 1803 would feel too late. It's too late. Yeah. Yeah. So is <laughs> the worst. Too late. Yeah. Okay. Got yeah. it. Bad guys. They're the worst. So this is happening in the area. Uh, when Iwene is born. And his father is Tabansi of Ibenzunu, I think. Um, and he was one of the ones who was arrested, but he was later released, so they didn't, like, kill him or anything. Not sure what happened to everybody. Uh, I, I feel like they probably did kill some of the other people, but maybe not. Not sure. Okay. Um, so that's pretty much all we know, but this is kind of, like, the situation. Colonial okay. colonization, you know, that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah classic uh, so Iwene was born the first born to his dad and his mom uh, don't know his mom's name uh, ultimately his dad has two sons so Iwene and his full brother with his first wife before his first wife and Iwene's mom is murdered by quote unquote pagans for their belief that she was a witch of sorts um Okay. There isn't a whole lot on this, but it's said that this is kind of what drives Iwene later, is that he knows that people murdered his mom. Right. Um, I'm not super sure how true that is. How true that it is that she was murdered for being that a witch, was, or that he, without in, that influenced him? That that she was murdered for being a witch. Okay. Like, um, it, it wasn't particularly, it like, wasn't really gone into detail Nobody really mentioned it a whole lot. It does seem like so, a weird detail to throw in and then not elaborate And then not talk on. about Especially not right. even like if it was just that she got murdered for some normal-ish reason. Yeah. That would be like, meh. Right. Fine. But the fact I, that you I, I put kinda, in that she got murdered because she was a witch and then not elaborate. <laughs> right. Yeah. Or that pagans thought that she was a witch. Yeah. So it's 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 unclear if somebody just like added that to like make it more elaborate and like she actually died in like of like a normal like health reason you know or something yeah or even just that she got murdered because somebody was drunk in a dick like, right yeah, yeah and just like killed her right um so yeah it's un nobody really elaborates on that but supposedly that's something that drives you went okay. in later too um so his dad marries again you know mm-hmm. he's got two sons so he needs another wife uh and has four more sons and one daughter with his second wife it's a lot of sons uh yes um and then, and Uwene's name um, is, I think, a shortened version of Iwe Ibune, maybe, uh, which means let malice not kill. But also that that like hyphenated name only came up in one source, so I'm not sure if that's true either. Okay. But supposedly means let malice not kill, which is kind of nice. Uh, um, it is. It's kind of like weirdly foreshadowing. It is uh, for his mom getting murdered. A little bit, yeah. Okay. Um, overall, his parents were poor farmers, and everybody notes that they were not Christian themselves. Okay. Um, poor farmers. Uh, we don't know a whole lot else about his childhood, other than he was permanently blinded in one eye after having a mud fight with other kids. <laughs> At this point now, I'm also not sure how true that is, because also not a whole lot of other sources mention that. Yeah, that's wild. So, I mean, uh, I've gotten mud in my eye. And yeah, but you, you could, could see how weird, you... You could get some weird yeah. infection, I guess. Yeah, Right, get some weird infection and then, you know, or like get, get like a little piece of grit. A bit of rock that, or something. That, that, that then scratches. Like scratches. Yeah, yeah okay. and then, yeah. So I don't know how true that is. Nobody mentioned it, that mentions it when he's an adult, which I would think because like he's an adult who's now blind in one eye. 
Like, I mean, but maybe but, maybe this is one of those places where because of the RNC, there's just like a lot of kind of injured people. Right. Permanently and, like, you wouldn't notice people walking around. It's just like not yeah. worth the effort to like point notice. it out and talk about it yeah. every time. Especially if he like functions fine. Yeah, you know? it's not really affecting it's him. His other eyes okay. Yeah. yeah. So that happened when he was a kid, apparently. Or maybe he had some really cool sunglasses and no one knew that one of his eyes didn't work. I don't think he had sunglasses, <laughs> but... <laughs> in 1903 in Nigeria, you don't think so? No. <laughs> okay. Um, but anyway, so that's kind of one thing that happens in childhood. But otherwise, you know, like poor poor village farmers, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, later at an unknown age, I think he's like maybe like eight or ten or something like that, his dad sends him to the Holy Trinity School in Anitsha, which I think is how you say that, sure. um, which is a city in Nigeria, uh, which was run by the Catholic group, the Holy Ghost Fathers. I looked them up. They're just, you know, a congregation. Spectacular name, though. I know. Good name. <laughs> um, supposedly, they're actually known as like the like the Fathers of the Holy Spirit, but Holy Ghost Fathers. Holy Ghost Fathers, which is <laughs> delightful. better. Yeah, but they're just like, you know, a normal normal dudes. So not as exciting as their name might imply. Right. They don't have a whole lot. Like, there's not something super special about that, you know. They're just a group that's running the school. Um, And by sending him there, his father meant for him to, like, get an education Mm -hmm. such that he could pull the family out of poverty. Like, it wasn't really intended that, like, oh, you're, like, super holy or something, like, because they weren't Christian. They were just like, hey. Those would have just been the good schools around. Yeah, that's just just kind of all over the world. The good schools would have been religious schools for the most part. Right. So he was just sent there to like get an education. And he's like the firstborn son. So like that makes sense. Um, Mm -hmm. This is where Iwene was baptized on July 7th of 1913 when he was 10. Mm -hmm. And he takes the Christian name Michael. Okay. um, And some people refer to him as like Father Michael at some times. Some say like just Father Tansi, things like that. So okay. after finishing school there, probably in like 1919-ish, when he's yeah. 16, um, he becomes a teacher. And okay. he teaches from like 1919 to about 1925. And through this time, he even becomes the headmaster of the school he taught at, which was St. Joseph's School in Aguilar. Or Aguilary. So not, not sure. the same school he went to. Just a different program. No, school. different school. Aguilar comes up a lot. Um, that is what a lot of people say as his hometown. Although, from what I can tell, he just like was from near there. Yeah. Um, it's like suburby, rural land. Yeah, yeah. So Aguilar, um, it's considered like, some people were saying that's like the the capital, quote unquote, of the Igbo people. Mm-hmm. Um but and that it's like a relatively old town slash collection, like pretty pretty ancient area of people gathering, you know. Okay. Um, today it's like a mid-sized town. Well, they were calling it a mid-sized town. Doesn't sound like a mid-sized town to me. Um, kind of in south central Nigeria, um, near some of like the Niger River deltas before it gets mm-hmm. to the ocean. Um, not like right on the coast, but like, like kind fertile of inland, fertile kind inland of stuff. stuff yeah. yeah. Okay. Good um, place to have a city. Yeah. Today, the population is about 900,000 people. Um, it's a pretty, pretty big, big city. <laughs> yeah. So not a mid-sized town, but obviously in the early 1900s, probably not 900,000 people. But yeah, probably it's not. developed into that today. I mean, I guess compared to like the nat- the capital city of Nigeria, which probably has way more than a million people, I guess maybe it's a mid-sized city. Right. Yeah. I mean, I and, guess compared to other cities around, maybe it's big. Yeah. It's mid-sized. And at the time, it was probably like a pretty big town, you know, mm-hmm. compared to like the little villages and stuff that would be around it. It's yeah. probably a pretty good sized like collection of people. But yes. So that's kind of like the nearest town. Uh, it's considered his hometown, although I don't think he was actually like born there necessarily, but like nearest there, you know. Okay. Um. So. Uh, he's kind of in this area. Ultimately, after teaching for a free few years, he decides that he wants to go to seminary. Okay. Um, at this time, as you can imagine, there are very few African-born priests or sisters or any member of the clergy, really. Mm-hmm. Pretty much everybody is European. So overall, there's not a whole lot of like push from Native Africans to like put their children into the clergy, right? Yeah, it's like a it's cultural really, thing. Yeah, just like not really like, a thing. Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, and unfortunately, some of the higher white clergy, uh, even the bishop at the time, or one of the bishops at the time, still saw Africans like the Igbo people to be steeped in paganism, even after they were converted, and kind of saw them as lost to the cause of Christianity, even once they converted them. Um, it's, it's so also ironic that he thinks that they're still too linked to pagans when his people have one. been celebrating Christmas for 400 years. Yeah. <laughs> Yep. More than 400 years, almost a thousand years. Yeah. Yep. That's yep. fine. Let's yep. just breeze right past that. And, and that, like, you're the one who converted them. So, yeah, like, you- do a better job. <laughs> like, what? <laughs> if they didn't you convert properly, you messed up. <laughs> yeah. Like, what? That doesn't make any sense. How is that their fault? Like, okay. it's also one of those things where it's like, it seems like when you read these old missionary stories that people. Like, the missionaries don't seem to grasp that someone can outwardly convert and have made no difference whatsoever on the inside. Yep. (laughs) It's like, oh, we converted these people. It's like, did you convert them or do they just go to church on Sundays? Because those are not the same thing. Yeah. It's like, uh, okay. Yeah. So it's also often noted that while Igbo men could become priests, they were subject to, like, a lot of stricter, a lot more strict rules than others which is like just you know racism and they were often expelled from seminary for like small infractions that wouldn't have gotten white students expelled or even even other african students who weren't Igbo. Mm, that's interesting yeah but they're like in Igbo land right yeah yeah it's interesting that you would that you would prioritize the non-locals yeah that's weird very weird so just straight racism yeah just you know but it's like just it's not even just racism it's like it's the like white cultural, people have made a hierarchy yeah. of people. It's Which weird. is still racist. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. It is, but it's like more yeah. complicated. They've it's made more, it more it's complicated. It's very strange. <laughs> yeah. But regardless of all this, uh, Iwene is still driven to become a priest, uh, even against his father and his family's wishes. So obviously he was sent to school so that he could pull their family out of poverty, but that's yeah, not what he's going to do now. Being a not helpful for that. Right. Particularly. So his, his family and his dad were like floored. Um, so he felt that the God he had like come to know through his schooling from a young age mm-hmm. wanted him to continue to serve rather than to leave and do something for only like materialistic reasons like his dad yeah. wanted him to. So regardless of the desperate, desperate like position of his family, um, he went into seminary in 1925 at the age of 22 and attended the St. Paul Seminary in Iberium until 1937 when he was 34. Um, so after this point, like, we don't really hear anything about his family. Okay. So I don't know if he, like, helped them or what. Um, but yeah, he kind of I imagine just- that them having their kid go into religious life is not dissimilar to how we would perceive someone our age going into a religious life. Right. Like, it's just like, why Why are you what? doing that? Like, don't yeah. you want to do all these other things? Yeah. Like, like you're our firstborn son. Like, you're yeah. supposed to take care of us kind of thing, you know? And especially if, yeah. like, your family's not religious. Like, they were religious, so um, yeah, but the, there are actually like, some really good- You have to be a certain kind of family to generate right. clergy. Yeah. That's yeah. not just, like, any, like, yeah. pro-Jesus family. They are not generating clergy. Right. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> And uh, so there's actually a lot of really good videos that I think we'll post on our Instagram, like the links to, mm-hmm. um, talking to people who knew him. Oh, there's still, well, I guess, yeah, 1903, there could be people on video. Yeah. So, okay. um, well, there's a guy who's a cardinal right now. We'll talk about him later, but he good knew him. him as a child. But anyway, um, and they talk about how it's important to know that, like, these people, they didn't not have religion like they had a native like cultural religion right family yeah i mean everybody the Igbo people have a religion yeah they have religion yeah yeah, they have gods they have like good and evil spirits you know all that kind of stuff so like his family was religious they just weren't christian and they were like why would you want to serve that god this group it's like like they're like what (laughs) i bet it feels like traitory yeah Especially yeah. if you were supposed to pull them out of poverty, yeah. like how? Like, you not do only this to are us? you not going to help us, like we had been right. hoping, but in your not helping us, you're going to kind of go over to the other side. Is right. I bet how a lot of people 
saw it. Yeah, perceived it, which is mm-hmm. sucky for yeah him because it seems like he genuinely feels something. Yeah, but also totally understandable from everyone else's point of view. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Like it's a difficult situation for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, so despite the super racist practices of all the priests at the seminary, um, Iwene was ordained on December 19th of 1937, um, and he became a priest for the Archdiocese of... I believe in you. I forget. I forget. I forget. I forget. Uh, he became a priest of the Archdiocese of Anitsha okay. at the Cathedral Basilica of the Most Holy Trinity of Anitsha. So basically, you know, big, big cathedral. He becomes yep. a priest. Sounds cool. fancy. Um, he's got a couple parishes that he's going to work for, etc. He's just mm-hmm. like, you know, a local priest. Um, so as I mentioned at this time, people aren't going into clergy because it's like not a way to help your family. Right. Yep. Um, but. Hasn't been for a long time by 1920 right. or whatever year it is. <laughs> yeah. But as after more. African-born priests and nuns and, like, other clergy become more common, people start to realize that the Catholic clergy are often living better than the poor people. Obviously, yeah. that's not great. That's not really yeah. how it's supposed to be. No. <laughs> um, priests aren't supposed to be surprising. living better. Yeah. Yeah. Priests aren't really supposed to be living better than the poor, but you could also just see it as, like, maybe they aren't necessarily living better, but, like, they have a place to live. Right? Yeah. They're, like, living at the church. or, yeah, or they, they have own land and stuff. Right. So that perception is that they're living better. Um, and so this started attracting parents to send their kids to seminary because they're like, this is a way to improve your situation. Yeah, right? it, won't, it won't improve the family, but it'll keep you safe. Yeah. Which is yeah. better than nothing. And even, like, it might not keep you, like, that much better than the poor people, but, like, you always have a place to stay. Like, yeah. People will always help you. Like, you can always stay at the like church. you have a network. Kind of yeah. Yeah. Oh, you have a network of support at this point. So this meant that many priests weren't necessarily super popular with local people because Shocking. they didn't see priests as really helping them. Um, mm-hmm. Just kind of preaching things. Although, in one of the videos I watched, I'm not sure how true this is because it still feels very, like, colonial. But one of the cardinals said that, like, at the time the there was a big perceptual difference between the evangelization uh from the anglican church and from the catholic church and that the perception at least in this area was that the anglican evangelization was very autocratic and very like dictatory where they weren't really like going to the people they were just like these are the rules and you're gonna follow them Mm mm-hmm Whereas the Catholic ones were kind of more going to the people and trying to, like, understand their culture and, like, how it, this, like, these Catholic ideas might fit into that culture yeah. that already exists. I'm not sure how true that is. That's what one of the, one so of the cardinals says. So, do you know, says, but- are the Catholic missionaries English or are they from France or Spain or somewhere? Um, I think some of them were from France. But I think some of them were also still from England. Hmm, interesting. But I think it was like kind of mixed. They didn't really point it out okay. very much. Um, and also I didn't hear anything about the Anglican evangelization until I watched like one of the videos with one of the current cardinals. So hmm. like I said, I'm not really sure if he's just trying to like pump up the Catholic story, you know, or yeah. or what. Um, that's real. I mean, it does it does make sense to me logically that the Anglicans would have kind of an autocracy vibe going because they would yeah. be linked like officially to, linked to the right. rnc yeah yeah because um, they are they're re- responding to the queen so or the yeah, king, they're all king. the state religious so, all the state stuff of england yeah in the english empire so they so are trying sense. to like control their colony right yeah and it's less so, about religious religion. converting for the sake of religious converting and more about making right. these people fall in line with the yeah. empire and what was expected of people, you know. Yeah. So, yeah, not sure how true that is. But um, theoretically, people, like, aren't super fond of priests, especially, like, obviously, they're not going to respond very well to, like, the white priests, you know. Mm-hmm. But apparently, Iwene was very surprising to most people. Um, so, one, because he was, like, a local Nigerian. Mm-hmm. He was actually, like, he wasn't white. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was trying to live in poverty much more than a lot of the priests were. So he, like, built his own house, 
um, out of Adobe. He ate very little and was really only ate like yams donated by people. Mm -hmm. Um, And he would prefer to walk places even if people like offered him rides like bikes or motorcycles to use. Mm -hmm. Um, And he was known apparently to work through even the worst tropical storms. (laughs) Hmm. Hurricanes, fun. Yeah, I know, right? (laughs) And so overall, like it's said that like this lifestyle led many – Nigerian Catholics and non-Nigerians to love him because and just like become extremely popular in the parishes he served um, because he was just way more integrated with the townspeople like the people mm-hmm. the local people right he wasn't kind of on his high horse as much as a lot of the white missionaries were he was just like you are my people and I'm going to help you right yeah um, so he worked to serve – he, like, organized a bunch of groups to serve the poor. Uh, he personally helped people build or repair ho- homes or, like, do other projects. Mm-hmm. Apparently, he was, like, real good at building, and he would teach people new techniques to, like, make their houses more stable and, like, better and stuff like that. Fun um, and random. Yeah, super random. So people really liked him because they were, like, oh, he's, like, helping us with, like, practical things, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, actually making our lives better. <laughs> Uh, and apparently he also was, like, just in general, like, super practical and, like, kind of a perfectionist. Um, and he would, like, teach people, like, tools or methods for more efficient living. Mm-hmm. Like, how to harvest mangoes such that you get the most fruit from the trees every season. Um, okay. <laughs> super random. Like, apparently people were, in some of his parishes, they had a bunch of mango trees and they would just, like, throw rocks at the mangoes to, like, get them down. But that meant that, like, a lot of times you missed or you hit, like, not ripe mangoes and yeah. you would end up taking down way more than you need and, like, pulling down the ripe mangoes so the trees yeah. would be empty before, like, the end of the season. So he was basically like, no, you guys should, like, actually climb up there and, like, get just the ripe mangoes and then it's you'll have more It's surprising to me that people didn't already know that. I I feel like I'm sure they did, but, like, nobody was really pushing them to actually do it right. Yeah, maybe. Where he was like, no, you'll, like, help everybody more if you do it right, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And it was apparently very convincing and stuff. So, like, little little tiny, like, stories like that where he was, like, getting people to, like, be a little bit more efficient in how they were living so that more people could be, like, not as poor, you know? Mm-hmm. Or at least have shelter and things like that. So, in addition to these, like, physical helps, um, he is also well known for standing up against the oppression of Nigerian women in the traditional cultures. And he was actively advising women to fight back against men who raped or like beat them, which at the time and place was a huge no, no. Right. Um, In a lot of uh, cultures, like even not in just Africa, just like even in the West, women are not supposed to fight back against like their husband or, or even a man, right? Yeah, this like, is like towards the end of the period in like the U.S. and the West, uh, where right. if you did something like that as a woman and spoke out against it, they'd put you in an insane asylum. Right. Yeah, because you're like hysterical, right? Yeah, hysteria, right? So like you're big. No, no. Like you're not supposed to fight back <laughs> against men. That's just like not what's supposed to happen. So this is like a huge thing that he's like actively, openly telling women to do. Mm-hmm. Um. And there is a story of a young woman who was attacked by a group of men and Iwene was nearby and came and helped her fight until the men left. Um, he then told her to like actively pursue this in court and ultimately she won her case and the men were ordered to pay her four pounds in restitution. And this case is now considered a milestone in the development of women's rights in Nigeria over hmm. Nigerian history. I wonder how much four pounds inflates to. Probably a lot, especially what in Nigeria. Year did you say? In, uh, we don't. I don't know exactly what year this was, but it's after he's a priest, so it's after, uh, like nineteen thirty-seven. Is three hundred pounds? Good God! Which is almost five hundred dollars at the time, especially in like a poor area. Like that's like shit. Yeah, four hundred. Four hundred dollars about. Yeah, especially yeah. in an area where you're like not really using money. Because yeah. it's like still villages trading you know, and kind stuff, of thing. yeah, and farming and stuff. So that's a lot of money. Um, so yeah, he's considered like one of the first pioneers of like women's rights in Nigeria, like against kind of the native culture. Which, like, like we mentioned, obviously, like changing native cultures is not great. But in the case where people are oppressed, mm-hmm. like I think we should always support that. Um, 
and where people are actively hurt um, yep. and and harmed by that that some some aspects of that culture then you can change those bad parts of the culture without changing like the identity you know yeah um, i don't suppose you know that lady's name no <laughs> nope sad um yeah couldn't couldn't find find much else on that um but he is even quoted like with all this uh women's rights stuff he's quoted as saying uh she is not onyebem uh which is a common nigerian expression for a wife meaning in my place uh so she is not onyebem uh but your wife your better half part of your own body onye means a stranger which your wife is not you must recognize the worth and position of your wife and treat her as your partner and your equal unless you do that she is not your wife to you but a servant and that is not what god wants a wife to be to the husband hmm good yes solid so he's pretty cool um and in these efforts to like protect women, he enlists the help of nuns to form communities that help protect women from like pr- they were calling it premarital cohabitation, where like the husband and the wife would live together before mm-hmm. they're actually married. Um, and he saw this as like basically rape, you know. Yeah. Um, and so he was trying to help continue to protect women from rape prior to marriage. Um, and he- so he had like the nuns help like have like safe. Safe houses, basically, where women would live before they actually got married. And, mm-hmm. um, so have somewhere to go. <laughs> yeah. Like, <laughs> Iwene would, like, hang about and, like, punish any men who tried to, like, come and find their betrothed before they were married. <laughs> like, he'd be like, get out of here. Get. <laughs> Which is pretty fun. Um, and, that he would like have the nuns like help educate the women on like Christian life and like how to raise children and like topics of childbirth and things like that, mm-hmm. especially for like women who like don't have like living mothers or something like that to like yeah. help them with that. Uh, or like a community, like if they've kind of lost some of their, their female community, mm-hmm. um, the nuns would kind of like help educate them while they lived there until they were actually married. Um, Sounds and good. so he's pretty cool. Um, that's that's like a pretty big contribution to your people, right? Yeah. Um and it's like it's like almost unrelated, like it was related, like he was trying to like reduce sin and stuff like that, but he seemed like he was genuinely concerned for like yeah. the well-being of of women in his community, which like I said, some people say is because of his mom being murdered. Yeah. Um that and checks that out. It was, like, whether or not it was because they thought she was a witch, like, it was probably the result of some Some kind of violence against women. Violence, yeah. Yeah. So he seemed especially driven by that. Um, And so this is kind of what he did when he was a priest. Um, So he did this uh, from his ordainment in 1937 until about 1949, um, so almost a little over 10 years. and then he began thinking a little bit more about entering the monastic life, i.e. monkness. Oh, boy. Um, but yes. he must be... Oh, 49, he, he yeah, is... 50. 46. Yeah, he's coming up in his 50s. Yeah. So okay. he's a he's a well-standing priest. Everybody likes him. He's been helping his community for like 12 years at this point. Um and I don't really know exactly what attracted him. Like, everybody just says he was thinking more about monastic life. Um, I guess he just wanted to, like, pursue something a little bit more spiritually, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, he'd been helping a lot of people, but he wanted to turn back towards more of the spiritual stuff. Um, yeah, and at- I mean, he must have felt pretty strong spiritual stuff right? to get into any of this in the first place from a culture like his. Right. Yeah. 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 So, um at the time, there weren't any monasteries in Nigeria, um, but the bishop at the time wanted to send a group of priests to Europe to learn to be monks so that they could come back and start a monastery. Okay. So uh, Iwene, like, immediately volunteers and is, like, chosen um, to go with a couple others uh, on this mission to Europe. Mm-hmm. Uh, at first, they're sent to Rome in 1950, um, when he's 47, to make a pilgrimage, you know, to Rome, you know. Mm-hmm. Do the so thing he would have just missed um, Oscar Romero. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Uh, about about the same time, but like different. Yeah. Just you know. just barely a couple of years after Romero left. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, he makes pilgrimage. They you know they all go to like all the you know yeah. churches. And we did the Sistine Chapel and did the stuff. You know, <laughs> yeah. Do the things. Do the things in Rome, and then yeah. they continue on to Mount Saint Bernard in England uh, to join to join the Trappist monks there. So Mount Saint Bernard is a 
a Trappist monastery in England. Okay. Um, I, I think it's somewhere near is. Leicester because... Leicester? Uh, well, Leicester. Do you we'll mean Leicester it. as it's spelled? Yes, Leicester. Way too many letters for how it's Lester. said out loud? Too many. Leicester. It's Leicester or yeah. Leicester? Leicester. Leicester. Just okay. to me, yeah. So yes, Trappist monks. I was like, who the hell are the Trappist monks? <laughs> <laughs> Turns out they're kind of fun. Um, so they are monastics uh, known under the order of the Cistercians or... So specifically the order of the Cistercians of the strict observance. Um, they have communities of both monks and nuns, and they get their name of Trappists uh, or Trappists, if you're a nun, um, after the La Trappe Abbey um, in France, uh, which was the monastery where the movement first began. So they're, they were the, the monks from Trap. So they're okay. Trappists. You know, um, <laughs> the order was formally started in 1892, but the, there were ideas in like a subgroup of another order that started as early as 1664. So pretty old. Okay. Um, overall, they follow the rule of St. Benedict, which is that stuff of like strict monastic observance. So mm -hmm. they don't speak unless it's necessary. They abstain from meat. They live um, by producing goods with their own hands. Um, Fun. So kind of like monkey stuff. Otherwise, they don't really have much difference. Uh, but they do say that like they're they're like kind of a branch of the order of the, the Cistercians. And the reason they're called like of the strict observance is that they're way more strict about the rule of St. Benedict than other Cistercians are. Okay. So they're like Cistercians, but they're just like really dedicated. Really, Cistercians. really Cistercian. Yeah. But okay. like, you know. Cistercians, like, there's not a whole lot, anything, like, special that they do. They're just, like, a group, you know? Yeah. That, like, started and spread. So Your classic monkey guys. Yeah. So, but what I did find that's delightful, so we're going to get a little off topic, but I want to talk about it because it's fun, um, <laughs> is that basically they, they live by producing goods with their own hands and, like, mm -hmm. selling them to, like, help support them. Yeah, um, sounds like my jam. Which, yeah. So, like, some some monastic orders, like, live on donations and some just, like, just produce food for themselves. And mm -hmm. then, like, this order and, like, other orders do stuff where they actually make things and then sell them. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of how we get, um, like, the illuminators. Like, how a lot of monk groups would be, like... Yeah, you'd, like, you'd master craftsmen would be involved, yeah. related to the church somehow. Or, like, building yeah. cathedrals and stuff is serious. Right. Like, math and geometry and architecture. Right, right. So. So a lot of times it was the the most educated people were monks, and then they would like produce things for yeah. just to support yeah. their monks. All the best not craftsmen to, like, would be associated with the churches, right? So what do the Trappists do? You might ask. Do you want to take a guess? Because you won't <laughs> guess it. What do they make? What are oh, they known for making? Weird, like rocking chairs. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I wonder when rocking chairs were invented. Anyway, Probably that sounds like time. a very Amish thing. <laughs> or like Quakers. Quakers invented <laughs> invented rocking chairs. No, so they are known for their Trappist beers. Uh, interesting. So a Trappist beer is a unique beer class that is, uh, it's like, it's just unique. Okay. So it has one of those official labeling groups, uh, called the Authentic Trappist Product Label, assigned by the International Trappist Association. Okay. So it's basically it's like free like, trade labels and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. You can't claim you're a Trappist beer without one of these labels, kind of like how it's technically not champagne if it didn't come from champagne, right? Right, yeah. Um, and the requirements for the Trappist label is that, or one of them, is that you have to have living monks associated with working with the beer and making the beer. So, for example, as of um, 2021, one of the breweries that was originally made a Trappist brewery, um, it called Achel or Achel, um, I think it's in, I think it's in Belgium, um, is no longer certified as a Trappist brewery because they don't have any monks left. Dun, dun, dun. I know. As of 2021. Yeah. So just recently they were removed by the Trappist Association or whatever the heck they're called. International Trappist Association. Yeah. So um, originally there were eight Trappist abbeys that could produce this beer, six in Belgium, one in the Netherlands, and one in Germany. And um, now there's only seven because Akel was removed or Achel was removed in 2021. Um, and the requirements for Trappist beer are as such. One, the beer must be brewed within the walls of a Trappist monastery, either by monks or under their direct supervision. Um, 
The brewery must be of secondary importance to the monastery and should not overtake the rules and necessities of the true monastic life. Yep. Like you can't subject the religious stuff to make the beer, right? Yeah. You can't like stop going to mass to make more money. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. And, <laughs> this is a hobby. Uh, it's not a, it's not right. your main thing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and the brewery is not intended to be profit making and the income only covers living expense, expenses, maintenance and supplies and the rest is donated to charities. So that are those those are the requirements that the International Trappist Association like checks to make sure mm-hmm. that each Trappist brewery can still do the thing. Um, these beers are also brewed in like levels, which I thought this was interesting. So no one actually calculates like the alcohol content. <laughs> so that sounds so like a just, recipe for fun. I know, right? So they just have like levels. So like ankle means single. Then they have double, triple, or quadruple. And like there's no like standard of what that actually means uh, other than it's related to like alcohol strength. Um, But from what I found, because there is on Wikipedia, there is a list of like the beers and like what their names are that each brewery makes. Mm -hmm. Um, So single beers can be anywhere from like four to six percent, you know, kind of like normal beer amount. Mm -hmm. Whereas doubles start around seven percent, triples around eight percent and quadruples are ten (laughs) percent. Oh, boy. It gets heckin strong. (laughs) Um, And I couldn't find like a whole lot about like what they taste like or like kind of how they're special. But apparently... um, like sugars and yeasts are like left active in these beers so that they will actually like age over time like wines and meads do interesting yeah and they'll get better over time so i think that's kind of like why they're special like this type of brewing is like a special thing and they are maintaining it and like it's the best kind of this beer if you get an actual trappist beer Mm -hmm. you know um but i couldn't find a whole lot of that so i'm not super sure i am not a brewer uh Maybe I'll have my brewer friend look into this. Well, it seems like we'll- I just Googled it because I was wondering if I could get some on Amazon. Yeah. <laughs> it seems like this St. Bernard's Abbey or whatever mm-hmm. still makes beer, Trappist beer. Yes. Apparently they are not official Trappist beer um, because it they're seems not like on they the international just, Trappist list. It seems like they just like restarted it. Like they stopped for oh, yeah. a couple hundred yeah. years and just like in the last 10 years or so they restarted it. And it seems yeah. like they have to like work up to the work up to the qualification the requirements. Yeah. yeah, but yeah, you can get it on Amazon. So I might get some. Might get some. <laughs> yeah, uh, <laughs> get a double, man. Yeah. So it's it seems like um, oh it's on Amazon like those... you can get a mixed pack from all different kinds of Trappist beers from all around Ooh, Europe. <laughs> nice, nice. Do it. Tell us how it goes. Yeah. So it's like it's kind of like um, there's another monk that makes a special kind of liqueur. That's like a botanical liqueur that I've heard about before. So this is pretty pretty common, especially in Catholicism. Like Catholicism has a, like a really odd relationship with alcohol, um, mm-hmm. but and there's a bunch of like history, like 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 whole papers and like books written on the Catholic relationship with alcohol. So you should look into that if you're interested. But basically, it's pretty cool. And this is the group that Iwene hops into in England, right? Fine. Um, and. I don't know if they were making beer at the time, but, like, this is the group, what they're known for, like, across Europe, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so, Trappist beer, most well-known products that they make, but obviously they probably made a bunch of other stuff. Like, uh, one of the one of the official Trappist Association breweries, it said that they actually haven't even made beer for a long time, but they, uh, they can use, like, the Trappist label on all the other products they make. Because I think they make, like, cheese or, like, sausage or something like that, Interesting. too. Interesting. So they still use that label on their other stuff, but they actually haven't made, uh, and they're still part of the association, but they actually haven't made beer in a while. Um, so interesting things. So go go find yourself some Trappist beers, and Toriel will report to us how it went. Oh no, this St. Bernard one is on the Trappist list. Oh, it is? Good. Yeah, it's the only one in England. Nice. <laughs> There's also oh, one cool. in the US, I think. Oh, nice. Hang on. Yeah, I had seen, there are a bunch of like Trappist monasteries in the US. I guess the list I have, the eight, the eight Trappist Abbeys, I guess that's the original eight. So when they first established the association, there were six in Belgium, one in the Netherlands, and one yeah, in Yeah, this Germany. one has definitely has more than six. It's probably like 15 yeah. or 20. Let's see, the one in the yeah. United States is in So they probably have spread. Oh, that makes sense. St. <laughs> Joseph's Abbey in Spencer, Massachusetts. Makes they sense. make honey and jam and beer Ooh. and miscellaneous and religious products. Sounds about right. Let's get some Trappist honey. That sounds yes. delightful. 
Yeah. So this is the group he hops into. Just fun little. We love a good beer, a good yes. religious beer, I guess. I don't know. Fun. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to get so, some of this beer from the English one. Do it. Tell us how it is. Maybe we'll have an episode where we just talk about, because we also need to talk about the relic that I bought. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so maybe we'll just make a, a an episode of where we've tried or like stuff. Yeah. Obtained, <laughs> obtained some of these things that relate to episodes we've done. So he arrives in England, you know, joins uh-huh. the Trappists. Um, he takes uh, the novitiate name of Cyprian. So that's why he's Cyprian Michael. Remember, Michael was yep, his, it's baptismal. his baptismal name, yeah. And then Cyprian is his monkey name. Mm-hmm. Um, over this time, there he is a kind of a perfectionist, um, and he's a novice under like a super strict master who criticizes his work all the time. And then this makes him realize that he was probably too hard on the people back in Nigeria, <laughs> and that he basically like basically makes him like lighten up his expectations of himself and like of the people he works with. You know, like hmm. he's not a- as aggressive about being perfect because he has this 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 novitiate master who's super critical and he's like man this sucks <laughs> good knock so, him down a peg yeah so he, he's a little humbled by that uh which is kind of nice um and apparently he was really afraid of being accepted in england because obviously he's nigerian in 1950 yeah uh in england but at the monastery he's like completely accepted which is really nice um it is said that because they're all drunk <laughs> hopefully not hopefully not, <laughs> but hopefully not. <laughs> uh he's like really accepted except for apparently by one south african guy like <laughs> he wouldn't be um black south african though he'd be uh dutch south african. yeah i'm not sure apparently the south african was like super critical of his work too but i only found that in like one or two places but overall he was accepted just one guy didn't like him yeah i have a fun fact for you that i have sure from my beer googling wormhole yes i was looking at the list of all the trappist existing trappist uh-huh. suppliers and there's yeah. one called mont de cats mm. so i wanted to know if it was actually anything to do with cats uh-huh of course it's not it's in france it means cats well, yes. mean something else but yeah the <laughs> wikipedia page in the origin of the name section it says quote the name has nothing to do with cats <laughs> <laughs> amazing amazing <laughs> okay south african doesn't like him Moving yes on. anywho south african doesn't really like him but otherwise he's really well accepted and uh it's also said that he hates english winters he hates them he's not a fan okay they're not that bad i mean i gather they must be bad if well, you're used to nigeria but they are if you're from nigeria i assume that they're pretty awful <laughs> yeah we're having a bit of a hurricane at the moment actually it's really oh, loud good. it's like banging on the walls good god <laughs> yeah anywho um, so he's, you know, doing his, doing his stuff there. Um, mm-hmm. through this time, they start making plans to start a monastery in, instead in Cameroon, next to Nigeria, instead of in Nigeria. Um, I don't know. I think just like logistics wise, they're like, hey, this might make a little more sense. I don't know. Uh, they might but- have been, they might not have been like separate things yet. Uh, Cameroon is French, maybe. No? Yeah. Benin is French. I, thought- I don't know about Cameroon. I don't know. It seemed like that they it was going to be separate because this is the fifties, so that they were yeah, like maybe. instead of doing it in Nigeria, they're going to do it in Cameroon. Um, but before this could happen, uh, Iwene falls ill. Um, there's a couple different stories. So one story is that he kind of starts to feel weird. Uh, he goes to the Leicester Royal Infirmary nearby. And the doctor looks at him and then leaves and goes to ask a fellow priest to try and convince him to accept pain management medications because the doctor discovers that he has arteriosclerosis, which is a thickening of the walls of the arteries and a ruptured aneurysm. And that would have been like extremely painful. Mm-hmm. But Iwene would only admit that he was in a little bit of pain. Um, and then late there is. So that's one part of it. But then there's another story where. Like a couple days before, he starts having pain in his legs, uh, and then he passes out, and then his other monks take him to the infirmary, where they find out that like he's super sick, and then basically the next day or later that same day, Iwene dies in the Leicester Infirmary on January twentieth of nineteen sixty four at the age of sixty one. Hmm. It's kind of um, sad that he died in England instead of England. Yes. So basically. Uh, it's like thrombosis or like 
thickening of the walls, basically blood clots. Um, and they later find out that he has an aortic aneurysm. So he's basically bleeding out yeah. in near his heart. Um, so he dies pretty quickly. Um, only in his 60s, though. That's not very good. Right, right. Um, so not sure about the story about his pain, because if he was passed out, like, how could he admit he was in little pain? Not sure. Um, but his cause of death is the same in both stories. I have learned that Cameroon was, in fact, French. Well, most of Cameroon was French. Uh, but a tiny little bit of what is now Cameroon used to be part of the British Empire, and they didn't gain independence until 1961. Oh, yeah. So it makes sense that some British Nigerians would be yeah. Might doing have been stuff in this part of in this part monster. of Cameroon is also the part of Cameroon that touches Nigeria. So Nigeria. So maybe yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. So um he dies at sixty one, which is not great, but um, you know, uh, not uh, not he's not like killed or anything like that. Just yeah. a unfortunate health situation. Mm-hmm. Um so at the time, he's buried at the monastery in England, uh, but he's later moved to the Cathedral Basilica of the Most Holy Trinity in Antisha in Nigeria in 1985, which if you remember, that's where he was originally ordained. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also did find one source that said that after his beatification in 1998, he was moved again to his parish church in his like home village of mm-hmm. Aguilar. Um but I only found that note of a second move in one place. Like, everybody else didn't mention it. Yeah. So I'm not sure if he's still at Antisha or if he's in yeah. Aguilar. I'm not sure. Um, that, that just could be wrong, you know? Yeah. Um, but it's said that during his re- his first rebellion mass in Antisha, um, right after the call for the canonization was opened by that cathedral, um, a miracle occurred where a 17-year-old Philomena Emeka uh, who uh, had inoperable tumors, touched his coffin and was immediately healed. Hmm. So that's in 1985. That's pretty snazzy when they moved him. Um, yes, when they moved him from the UK back to back to Nigeria. Um, this one resource said that this is what led to his beatification in 1998, but I couldn't find anything else on like the push to get him canonized any further. So the original push for canonization was started by Bishop... Um, of Onicha, the Cardinal Francis Arinze, or Arinze, um, who was one of the first children baptized by Father Tansi, by Iwene. Mm-hmm. Um, and he is still alive. So we will post, at least I'm pretty sure, we have videos from of him from like three years ago and he doesn't look that old. So okay. I'm pretty sure he's still alive. <laughs> um, he's a cardinal now. Uh, he was, he like joined the priesthood because of his experiences with Father Tansi mm-hmm. and uh, eventually became a bishop and then a cardinal. Um, so when he was just a bishop, he's the one who started the canonization call and like the process. Mm. Um, Good for him. But like, as I mentioned, like he's only a blessed right now. So I'm not really sure like where that process is at or like why. Like, I wonder if they just don't have enough evidence for the miracles to like push him all the way into saint. But when you Google uh, like Cyprian Michael Tansi or Father Cyprian Michael Ibuene Tansi, a lot of like even just like the initial Google search list him as a saint, even though I don't he think he is a saint. Not. Okay, he's a blessed. So you know he has a feast day. People like honor him, you know, because you can honor blesseds. Um, mm-hmm. But I'm not sure where the whole canonization process is or like why it stalled. You know, yeah, um, because he was. Made well, they blessed, blessed in, in 1998. So probably, here's my theory, based on pretty much yeah. nothing. My theory, uh-huh. 1998, he's a blessed. Uh-huh. And then, what, six years after that, John Paul II dies, mm-hmm. and the push to diversify the saints that's dies true. with him. Stops. Yeah. yeah, and it all kind of grinds to a halt. Yeah. Yeah, that's my theory. Okay. Yeah, that's possible. It's totally possible, yeah. Um. So, it's actually kind of cool. So... We have some videos. Some of the videos I pulled data from are interviews with Francis, uh, Cardinal Francis Arinze, or Arinze, um, and he talks a lot about it. So we will post the links to those videos as well because um, they're really interesting to, to listen to. And they also have a lot of really good photos of, like, Iwene with, like, his family and stuff when he was an adult. Mm-hmm. Um, 
that I actually couldn't find like anywhere else on the internet, but it's very much obviously him. <laughs> like somebody went through historical records of like the church or something and found all these um, photos. So mm-hmm. seems like a couple of pretty good produced videos. But um, so he was eventually beatified, like I said, in 1998 by Pope John Paul II, becoming the first West African to beatify, be beatified. Um, and at the ceremony, Pope John Paul II said, quote, Blessed Cyprian Michael Tansi is a prime example of the fruits of holiness which have grown and matured in the in the Church of Nigeria since the gospel was first preached in this land. He received the gift of faith through the efforts of the missionaries and taking the Christian way of life as his own, he made it truly African and Nigerian. That's nice. Yeah. Um. So then. In nineteen, not nineteen, <laughs> in two thousand and ten, he was named as the patron saint, or the patron, blessed, I guess, the patron of Nigerian priests. Um, and today, there's a bunch of churches and schools named after him in Nigeria. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. he's like their man. Mm-hmm. Um, his feast day is on January twentieth, um, which is the day that he died. If you remember in England and he is celebrated obviously like he's not a saint so he's not celebrated worldwide but he's celebrated in like the local Nigerian communities Nigerian churches and such and that is Father Cyprian Michael Uwene Tansi he's another one of these people that like straddles a weird time frame yes like Josephine Bakita yes every time i see that he was born in 1903 and he's still alive in 1965 i'm like what and i'm like no that makes sense it makes (laughs) sense from numbers but from like a cultural shift you're like uh yeah yeah. that's weird yeah because he lived through both world wars Mm -hmm. like hot damn and queen victoria had only been dead like a year or two when he was born yeah and he would have lived lived through the beatles Oh, God. Yeah. I almost got to the moon landing. Yep. Isn't that crazy? It's weird to go from Queen Victoria to the moon landing, but I guess lots of people must have done that. Lots of people. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It's so weird to look at those numbers, but yeah, it's like, yeah, when you think about logically, you're like, yeah, of course people were born in the early 1900s and lived to like the mid 60s or 80s, like obviously, (laughs) even the 90s. Yeah. But yeah, it's, it's crazy. So yeah, we've got a bunch of sources. Um. As I mentioned earlier, like a lot of the Western sources are kind of all the same. So like the uscatholic.org site for him, the EWTN site for him, um, and the saintsresources.com and the cistercianfamily.org, uh, kind of all, as well as the Wikipedia site kind of all have the same information. Um, I also use the Wikipedia pages for Trappist beer, for Trappists, for Aguilaire, um, for the Congregation of the Holy Spirit or the Congregation of the Holy Ghost, um, and the Igbo people, and then... Uh, we're going to post these, but I also use the videos um, on YouTube. Blessed Cyprian Michael Iwene Tanse, Saint in the Making, produced by Victor Omono, as well as the life, the video The Life of the Blessed Tansi by Cardinal Orinze, and the video uh, Ebo or Ebo, which one is correct and how is it pronounced? And uh, a um, a woman, she kind of goes through the whole history of why Ebo is spelled I-G-B-O or I-B-O now mm-hmm. and like how that happened linguistically. And it's a really interesting video. Um, okay. And yeah, so that's him. Cool. A little, little more uplifting. Yeah. Did some cool stuff. I learned some fun facts about, about beer. beer. <laughs> yeah. I just bought yeah. some beer. It's going to be here on okay, Friday. Cool. Perfect. We should make like a little extra episode. Yeah. Maybe, Maybe we'll weekend. do that. Um, instead of making a full episode, we'll make a little a little break break of honor we talk about all the random stuff that we've collected so far (laughs) yeah yeah he sounds like a nice dude yeah and we'll post a a photo of him he's got a lot of photos which also is weird i'm like 1903 but i'm like yes cameras existed of course yeah yeah of course obviously so it is weird to do like like kind of old-timey saints with crazy miracles and stories and Mm-hmm. wildness and then to do a sort of modern one where it's just like no he was just a good person that's like that's kind of all you just have right. to be a good person yeah and it's just like don't be and saints aren't rare because they're flashy saints are rare because it's hard to continuously be a good person be a good person yeah 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 which kind of makes it even yeah more impressive yeah. right well good for yeah. him 
yeah so i guys hope you guys uh enjoyed this episode um we want to remind you to like and subscribe and rate the podcast i have just learned that you can now rate the podcast podcasts on spotify okay uh which you didn't used to be able to do uh but now you can do it both on spotify and on apple podcasts so please do that um just like you don't even have to write a comment just like a five star thing would be great uh or four stars like whatever you want to give us you know (laughs) no pressure that's up to you no pressure um but that would be a great help um check out the instagram uh at martyr and monk uh, we post every time we release an episode. We post some pictures and things to go along that we go along yeah. with that episode that we talked about. Yep. Uh, so make sure to check that out. It will not clog up your feed because it's only once every two weeks. It's very yep. chill. Yep. And they're fun pictures. So like uh, last couple episodes, we've had pictures of like incorrupted bodies and stuff. So mm-hmm. if you're if you're willing to look at those, um, that reminds me. For him, there are a bunch of photos of supposedly his body on display. Um, when he was moved and put back to to Nigeria. Um, It's definitely not like an incorrupted body situation. It looks more like a sculpture, you know, when they put like a sculpture in one of these cases. Yeah. I mean, he would have been dead by for 20-ish years at that point, right? And buried in damp England. Yeah. Yeah. And nobody nobody makes the claims that he was incorrupted, but I think his remains were like covered by one of those like statues, you know? It'd be like Um, one of those things that they do with like, like when Lincoln died where they took his body on Oh on God! Tour, you know, on the train, right? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Be like, like have him laying in state. And stuff. <sighs> people, people are weird. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> so we'll, we'll post some pictures. We'll also post the links to those videos I mentioned. Um, I think one's like half an hour. Two of them are half an hour, and one's like an hour and a half. Um, so they're like whole, whole like yeah. historical episodes are pretty cool. Uh, cool. If you want to see a bunch of bunch of videos and pictures of him, but yeah, hope you enjoyed. Rate, subscribe, like, thumbs up, all the things you know. Uh, and I will just share another fun fact. Yes. Uh, rocking chairs were not invented by the Amish. They were invented by Benjamin Franklin. What? <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>